Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 57. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 20 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Dementor's Kiss. Or, as we like to call it, Pucker Up for Your Lobotomy. So at the end of last chapter, we leave off with, you know, the trio knocking Snape out cold, um, them believing Sirius and Remus about who betrayed Harry's parents, and of course, the reveal that Scabbers was Peter Pettigrew this whole time. And now they're the weirdest group of people, semi-unconscious, walking out of a hole in the ground under a weeping willow. What a sight, what a sight. So one of the first things Sirius does when they're kind of out of the Whomping Willow is he's just kind of like, hey, Harry, like, you know, I'm your godfather. Would you like to live with me? <laughs> and of course, we talked about this a lot, but kind of just kind of like if if Sirius like was freed and, you know, able to have Harry live with them, like what would Dumbledore have to do? Because like that's not a part of Dumbledore's plan. He would definitely make sure Sirius is so busy doing tasks for the Order that he didn't have time to, or the ability to take care of Harry. He would probably, if he had to expressly forbid it, and everyone just listens to Dumbledore all the time, which is dumb, but how it seems to work. I feel like he'd have to would explain how, like, Lee's magic, yeah, affects where Harry lives, so he has to date the Dursleys. And I feel like Sirius would get that, but, like, also Sirius is a lot more attentive than the Dursleys, so he's going to be like wanting to check out things and stuff, and Dumbledore's just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I think Sirius would 100% just not stand for it. If, Or actually, frankly, he would kill Dumbledore <laughs> if he found out how horrendously Harry had been neglected and abused by the Dursleys and how Dumbledore had stood by letting it happen knowing what was going on. I, I don't think Sirius would, uh, would stand for that. I feel like out of everyone, Sirius is kind of a wild card when it comes to Dumbledore because, like, we have Remus and Hagrid and everyone who just, like, you know, worships Dumbledore, always trusts Dumbledore kind of blindly. But Sirius, like, he obviously respects Dumbledore, but also he he does what he wants. Like, Yeah, he is a creature of chaos. We see kind of in Order of the Phoenix that, like, Sirius does what Sirius wants and doesn't really care what Dumbledore has to say. I think he's impulsive enough to do something against Dumbledore out of pure anger for what Harry's been put through. And like, if he took the time to think it through, he'd realize there are too many like political and social repercussions to doing anything that would displease Dumbledore, but he wouldn't take the time to think it through. So I think he is more likely to actually do something directly against Dumbledore's orders. I like that you bolded Sirius would kill Dumbledore. <laughs> he would... Absolutely. I mean, he would. He would not. He would kill Dumbledore and the Dursleys, I think. There's a good, like, I'm not saying it's impossible. He's a bit deranged. So. Yeah, I mean, Sirius is a wild card. And he has a very skewed sense of justice. Vengeance. He doesn't have a sense of justice. He has a sense of vengeance. Got a little Sirius in his chaotic self. But uh, Harry's first reaction to this is, uh, when can I move in? Yeah. <laughs> Which I get it's kind of funny, but also, like. Heartbreaking. Yeah, like, this kid's just kind of like, I can leave the Dursleys, these awful people I've been stuck with and abused by by 12, 13 years? Like, like pack my bags now, let's go. 
doesn't even know where Sirius has a house or anything. I think Harry would really love living with Sirius, but I think there would be a lot of negative repercussions. Like, I think if Harry lived with Sirius, he would definitely become, like, all aid. Like, there would be no ego or super ego involved at all. I feel like he would develop a constant desire for instant gratification, and he would really just learn to never think through his choices or consider consequences, because that's what Sirius would model for him. I think he would stay up way too late. I think he would eat all the candy. I think he would never brush his teeth. He would likely end up with a regrettable tattoo and a lot of cavities. I was going to say, he'd probably show up for fourth year with, with a few tattoos. <laughs> I never think of Sirius just like raising or living with Harry with just him. I feel like he needs another adult presence like Lupin. Yeah, I do not think Sirius actually counts as responsible adult supervision. That's that's what it comes down to. Like, it would be way better for Harry. I'd rather him be with an irresponsible Sirius than abused by the Dursleys. But it still isn't the ideal circumstance. <laughs> yeah. My one thing is, though, that uh, Harry's only known Sirius for, like, a few hours, like, in person. For this whole conversation happening. And for most of that, he thought Sirius was, like, you know, a murderer. And so he very quickly is just kind of like, you know what? Yes, I'll live with you. Don't really know you or anything about you, but yeah. I mean, the character reviews for Sirius are a lot better than what Harry would review the Dursleys as. Like, Lupin clearly thinks Sirius is a great guy, and his dad really liked Sirius. So, like, Sirius has glowing reviews in Harry's book. Harry's just so trusting, and I'm just gonna be like, yeah, like, I, I believe you that you're not, like, you know, a serial killer trying to kill me, but, like, I think we need to have a few coffee, get-to-know-you sessions before I, like, pack my bags. Yeah, like, we don't know if Sirius can cook. Like, what would Harry eat if he lived with Sirius? We don't know yet. Does he smoke in the house? Does he snore? Oh my god, that would be the worst. Like, things you you should know. And, like, Petunia keeps a pretty tidy house, and I feel like Hogwarts is fairly tidy as well. So, like, Harry probably has a pretty high threshold for what tidy is, and I feel like mostly abandoned house that hasn't been attended to except by one grumpy house elf since Sirius has been in prison, paired with basically the mentality of a 21-year-old frat boy, does not necessarily lead to a tidy home, and I feel like there'll be grime on the toilet that Harry is not used to or comfortable with. These are the things you should be asking, but of course Harry's just like, get me out of the Dursleys. Yeah. He's 13. <laughs> He's like, I'll go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when Harry kind of was like, like, when can I move in? Sirius like has this like big grin and Harry kind of like describes this image of him, how he looks a bit like 10 years younger and happier. And just like, he can see the resemblance to the man that was like, in the picture at his parents' wedding, and I thought that was kind of sweet. And just kind of shows, like, how, like, haggard and just kind of, like, destroyed by, like, guilt Sirius has been, and, like, the toll it's taken on his face. It's hard to keep up your skincare routine in prison, I would guess. <laughs> I also think, yeah, well, Harry is thinking about how handsome Sirius is. They all <laughs> seem to have forgotten the elephant, or dare I say, planet. Or, no, I'd say celestial body. That's what I'm going with. They all seem to have forgotten the celestial body in the room, which is the goddamn moon. It's a full moon. They just they just decided to forget that key, very important factor. I'm not being an astrology girl about it. They've got a werewolf. The moon is the big deal. They all just forgot about this big player in the story, which is the moon. <laughs> 
Snape would not have forgotten about the moon. I just need to put that up front. (laughs) I mean, he was telling them about it before they knocked him out. So, like... This, you have to give him a, not a sucks point, whatever the opposite of a Snape, like a, like a, all right, fine. Or a, we would have been better off if he were conscious point. I feel like Sirius would be dead right by now if Snape hadn't been uh, knocked out. <laughs> but, you know, other side of the, <laughs> the options. But um, it's something, I really like how this is written because uh, when Lupin's in the, the process of transforming, he's described as like Lupin's like limbs are doing this and it's just like very much saying like Lupin's doing th- this 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 but as soon as he's transformed it's the werewolf's doing this the werewolf is doing this so it kind of shows like how his community and personality his connection basically to Lupin is completely like there's no connection to it he's now the werewolf yeah it's it's like completely separate parts of the brain they're not conscious of each other they don't know each other's around and like Lupin probably knows about what happens the next day when people tell him what werewolf Lupin did but in no way does his like personality or who he is as a person have any sway on his behaviors when he's transformed. Yeah, so Sirius tells the kids, you know, to run, but Harry's kind of torn back because Ron's still like uh, connected to Lupin and Pettigrew. So he's like, can't leave, can't leave Ron! Oh yeah, and Ron also has like a broken foot or leg at this point still. So, you know. They're like, well, Ron's gonna get eaten. And also Snape's just like hanging out there. He doesn't tell Snape to run. <laughs> Snape's just unconscious. Like, leave Snape to get eaten by Lupin and we'll all run for it. Yeah, so Sirius goes after Lupin and tries to keep him safe. And um, Hermione was like, we should go get help. Of course, that's what Hermione does. Smart, logical Hermione thoughts. Yeah, Harry's like, you know, I gotta help Sirius. I don't know how he's going to help him, but you know. I sure know two spells. Okay, one and a half spells. Harry has the, always has the best intentions, but not really the skills to back it up. At least not this time. Yeah. Again, he knows one and a half spells. Of course, like the one thing they walk into is so they walk there to go see what happened to Sirius. And of course, they walk into like a swarm to mentors. Classic. Just to make like this evening worse. But uh, they're trying, Harry's telling Hermione to think of happy memory. And kind of teach her how to do, like, the Patronus charm, even though it's very hard. And Harry's happy memory is leaving the Dursleys, which I thought is also just, you know, kicking the gut, because that's obviously not going to be happening. Except that's not a happy memory, either. It's a happy potential future option. So I feel like he's loopholing things in a way he probably shouldn't. Um, I also think it's weird that, like, Hermione hasn't sort of learned the Patronus charm yet, because we know Harry learned it, and we know Harry sort of did it in a Quidditch game so people saw it. And I can't imagine the Hermione we know and love seeing Harry do an interesting, cool bit of advanced magic and not immediately being like, what's the incantation? What's the wand movement? I'm learning it. This is so cool. Like That's true. I guess we don't know Hermione like usually studies like their current textbooks. So I don't know, maybe it's because it's I think it, it's like a seventh year spell or something. So like maybe it was just like a bit too far away and she's like, oh I'm not ready for that yet. If Harry can try and do a spell, Hermione can definitely try better. Well, Harry needed needed it like out of necessity, and to Hermione, she's just like, oh, I'm doing other stuff. But because I don't, cause Harry's actually the one that teaches her too, so she doesn't even learn it after this. She doesn't learn it toward the Phoenix. It's hard to believe that. I think that's like a plot, not a plot hole, but like a character development hole. Like that's not how Hermione would go about this. The description of the Dementors um, as they kind of swarm Sirius and even Harry and Hermione, it's really kind of creepy. It describes like the description of when the Dementors lowered their hood and kind of like 
try and suck at your soul. Yeah, it's uh, the Dementors sound really terrifying. Specifically, the uh, the lack of eyes is something I find very unsettling. Yeah. I don't like anything to do with eyes and nucleation. It's not my scene. It's not my vibe. I want no part in it. Exactly. But just like you had like, the, like the, the decaying hand and just kind of like this weird like kind of rattling noise they make. Yeah, it's all very disturbing. <laughs> the rattling noise is a little bit like the ghost of Jacob Marley in like A Christmas Carol. I don't know why, but like that's kind of a different vibe to me than the rest of it. Everything is spooky. And then I'm thinking a Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> so uh, the Dementor's obviously going to give Harry the Dementor's kiss without authorization here. And I'm wondering if it's kind of foreshadowing to the fact that like, the Dementors aren't really ever in the Ministry's control. Just like right now, the Ministry gives them the ability to do what they want. But it's obvious when they switch to Voldemort's side because he can get more of what they want. And like they just do what they want. They just do what they want. I, I, I definitely think they bend the rules. Like they expand what they're allowed to do as much as they can. But I also wonder to what extent they were told what things they can do regarding capturing Sirius Black. Like if they were told, if you find Sirius Black, you immediately give him the Dementor's kiss. If anyone stands in the way of you doing so, they're an ally to Sirius Black and you can also give them the kiss if it allows you to complete the task. Like the prioritization of civilians versus the prioritization of getting Sirius might be not what we would hope it to be because governments are like this. We do know that like Cornelius Fudge does say that like they really want Sirius Black because they're really mad that he escaped. So I could see why like they're just like because it's a PR disaster. Yeah, but I also think he's also surprised that they went after like the kids. So I feel like to them it's just kind of like oh they're here, whatever. But like I don't think they were ever instructed, and that's kind of like a red flag. I also don't think they considered that kids would be helping Sirius. Like I feel like. Getting serious and capturing him and, like, maybe having another shady known criminal character also got the Dementor's kiss along the way is still perfectly fine and not a terrible PR thing. But if we get serious and some children got in the way and the Dementors also ate them, um, I think that's a different story. And I just think that, like, there's a big possibility that the people in government don't realize how much these kids get themselves involved in adult situations. So they're like, man, we kill a few adults, we get serious black. It's a 50-50. It balances out. But, like... He was ill-prepared for this. I don't think that the mentors really have, like, a PR concern. I think they just, like, they they want their people. And then, like, because they're usually only secluded to Azkaban. It's not a PR move from the from the Dementors. It's a PR move from the government determining what they're comfortable with allowing or requesting the Dementors do. I was just going to say that, like, the Dementors, like, um, aren't used to having, like, people like Harry around. And so I feel like um, they can't resist so they have, like, general rules that they're meant to follow, and they don't have anything better offered to them right now, so, like, fine. But I feel just they can't, re- they're not, like, meant to be controlled by humans, wizards or not. Yeah. There's also a fan theory that the Dementors find Harry irresistible because he has extra soul to suck out oh, because he has yeah, that piece yeah. of Voldemort. So it's kind of like if you're like, ooh, you know, should I eat that thing that's not really mine? But then you find out it's your favorite flavor and it's extra double-sized. You're like, oh, wait. Don't mind if I do. Not only is it the soul of a youthful, full of hope child, but it's also got another little piece of soul in there. So like it could be they were attracted to the extra piece of soul because they're like, it's totally worth getting in trouble. It's going to be extra filling. 
Or the alternative is they recognize that piece of soul as Voldemort and they've been trained to know Voldemort is enemy. And so they're not like, oh, we're killing Harry Potter, this random child. They're like, oh, there is a piece of Voldemort in there. It's Voldemort. We'll kill this thing. Like the horror crooks plays a role, maybe. I always took it as because Harry has so much misery in his past. That's why that he's so sensitive to them. That's also why they like him so much is because he has all this delicious misery to, you know, suck up. And so when he's there, they're like, ah. This is just like dessert after a series. So you have some uh, thoughts. About- oh, I always have thoughts. First of all, why? Why is it called the Dementor's Kiss? Like I get the imagery of it is like mouth to mouth, but it really didn't have to be that. There are other ways to make things creepy. And I just think calling it a kiss makes the whole thing kind of sound grossly intimate rather than like Spooky? Like, why is it not the Dementor's face punch? Because the point of it is to hurt them. Or the Dementor's soul suck? Because alliteration is fun. Or the Dementor's aggressive emotional kick to the spleen? You know, the Dementors tell you they're disappointed in you and expected more from you in the tone similar to that of your mother. That hurts. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's an option. I think it's kind of like the oxymoron being like, when you think a kiss, you, you, what you think is kind of intimate, consensual thing. And here it's like the opposite. Ugh, I just think it's like, I, I don't love that choice. I don't love that choice. I guess the image, I understand like it evokes a certain imagery. Like pucker up, time to die almost. Based. Time for, pucker up for your emotional romantic lobotomy. Basically it's pucker up for your lobotomy is what they're saying when they call it the Dementor's Kiss. Pucker up for your lobotomy would also be a really good chapter title. <laughs> Harry, when he the Dementor's kind of, you know, getting ready to... Consume his soul. Souls, there's two there. <laughs> um, he hears his mother's voice, and um, he's worried that, like, the last thing he'll ever hear is his mother screaming, which, you know, traumatic. <laughs> this book, oh my god. Deeply, deeply traumatic, yeah. But then he sees something, you know... And there's another person, he he kind of says, like, oh, there's another person across the lake, and some, he's, like, has a Patronus that's, like... Better than Harry's failed attempts at a Patronus. But he's said that, like, he, obviously he describes that he knows who it is, but he's, like, shocked by it, and we don't get the reveal until the next chapter, but, you know... We don't need to spoil it. <laughs> and then he passes out, but things to think about but obviously harry thinks that he sees his dad spoiler alert oh my god this book came out in 1990 whatever what if people are not reading the book and they're only consuming that via this podcast we don't want to spoil next chapters big twist why would you do that okay you go basically there's an old fan theory that i didn't know because obviously i was like 10 when i read this book <laughs> and actually i was like I think even younger when it first came out, but um, there apparently was a fan theory that James Potter survived, and this was like connected to this book, where like there was theories that like even after they kind of explain like why Harry saw what he saw, there was theories for a bit that's like oh James Potter survived, and he's here, Ooh. and he's following Harry. I can't really find much information about it because I, I was trying to look up where I maybe would have read it back in the day. Probably on MuggleNet, but um, I couldn't find much on it. But I don't know if I would have liked that as a like. I feel like Harry's parents dying hits in a certain way. It's kind of tropey. It's pretty tropey, but also I think like it's easier for me to 
like it's it's sad that James died and because I'm never going to have to meet him it's easier for me to be more sad about his death but I think I would find James Potter to be an asshole and I feel like him being dead and me not having to know what he's actually like as a person makes it easier for me to feel more sympathy for Harry in that way of like he lost his parents and they were wonderful parents like I feel like if James Potter was written consistent with the middle ground between how he's described by people I think like I wouldn't like him. And I think having him would ruin a lot of Harry's character growth because he has to become a person by like hodgepodging different parts of different adults in his life. Having parents come back is usually kind of weird. Like I know, I think when I think about this, I think of the 100 where like the first season was all the kids, you know, grounded. And then when the parents came in like the next season, it kind of ruined it because there's the idea of like when kids are like orphaned or just like doing things themselves parents are kind of inconvenient to the story because generally parents should be stopping all the crazy things these kids are doing but you know yeah and also like even like in the i know in the show supernatural when their dad came back to life or came back from i don't remember they did a lot of weird stuff but like people were like oh this is no like the dynamic is the brothers and like the older brother being kind of like the father figure and like it completely ruins the dynamic to suddenly have like no this is the default authority figure completely changes like the ability of younger characters to interact with each other and like negotiate from like sort of equal footing when there's an automatic set authority figure and i think the thing with harry is that the adult he becomes as he ages is a little bit based on the personalities of the father figures in his life and i guess some of the mother figures too but like he hodgepodges himself into a grown-up by finding different traits he sees as desirable in adults from the different people around him and i think if his father was still alive he would sort of he would put all of his like, okay, you're my father figure back into his father. And he would become sort of just like a little bit of a James with a bit of a Hermione and Ron are my friends, like personality difference. And I think he becomes a better person for having a multitude of father figures in the story and being able to sort of pick and choose which ones he inherits, which traits from. Yeah. Generally, like even though dead parents is, is a big trope too, like I just, it feels weird when like, um, these like teen dystopian novel characters are trying to do their you know chosen one things and then the parents are just there you know being parents yeah it, it's hard to imagine how like an actual living parent would handle it like when we find out harry is the only one that can defeat Voldemort. like parents are already pretty skewed and biased for their child but like is his father like a well harry this is your responsibility go save the world or is he like a no harry is my child he's not going out to fight a evil dark lord he knows two spells you know? Yeah, I think it also kind of explains, like, why, like, uh, I think in Goblet of Fire 2, like, they're very much created, like, Cedric's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's not coming back. And I feel like they also kind of like shows, like, in this series that when people, characters die, they're like, dead, dead. Like, Sirius, there's also theor- theories when Sirius dies that, like, he wasn't, he could come back from the veil. But we're like, no, when he's dead, he's dead, dead. And I think that's kind of to establish. Yeah. The only way to stay alive is certain preparatory steps that are done before you die. If you die and you haven't done the Horacruxes or, you know, all those special things, you, you're you just dead. You should have had the forethought to create a Horacrux. Yeah, I feel like the series kind of really shows that, like, when people die, they're, like, really dead. There's no, like, magic to bring you back. Because there's always going to be theories, but, like, oh, what if they survived? Or what if they did this? Like, when Dumbledore died, or, like, like no, he's, he's dead. He's quite dead. I like that it's finite. I like that characters die and stay dead because once you realize you're involved in a series where characters can come back from the dead all the time, it's kind of like harder to be as emotionally invested because you're like, oh, they could bring him back in the next book. Like, I kind of feel like the only literature I've read where a character like 
kind of dies and comes back to life and it's good is the Lord of the Rings. And like, that's not just like, oops, Gandalf died, but came back like better. He like, he's a Meyer. He's basically a demigod. Like he doesn't play by these rules. He didn't really, but like, that's a whole other thing with enough lore to make it make sense. And because he, in the actual like fellowship of the ring, he's the only one that has that standing. So like no one else has that ability. It's not like everybody can just come back, you know? It's just, he's special and it's justified enough in the lore that it's okay. And it does not change the feelings of validity or severity or the repercussions of death for any of the other characters. Everyone else can just die. But um, you have some psych babble that you, you have here that I, I, I missed. Oh, I did. Yes, I have. It's a short chapter, readers. It's like three pages. So... I was like, we need some, like, conversation points, so I'm coming in strong with the psych babble. Dusting off your BA in psychology? Dusting off. It's somewhere in the with my old coloring books <laughs> in a bench somewhere. Anyhow, so one of the interesting things that we talk about a lot is how traumatized Harry is. But I think we get a really interesting example of Harry's trauma in this chapter. Because we never get to see him coping with the fact that he does watch Sirius have his soul sucked out of him. He sees the Dementors kiss Sirius, and then he also feels the Dementors trying to do the same to him. And, like, we forget that it's a thing that happened because they travel back in time and we don't have to deal with those consequences. But that's not how the mind, the body, trauma, and memory work. So Harry witnessed and experienced and then encoded the memory of this experience in the context that the events occurring are definite and that the results are permanent. So what his body goes through, the physical reaction to seeing something like that, and like the triggers it'll cause in the future for you when you are in similar situations or when you remember this, are already encoded in him. And so he can't sort of relearn those memories after he goes back in time and saves Sirius because he already he already went through it and his body already experienced it. And because he can remember having seen it happen, it's still there with him. There's things like the traumatic false memory, which is a psychological concept, which is just like, if you experience something traumatizing that you think is real and you find out it isn't, this this is sort of like one of the things people talk about who go into those super terrifying haunted houses or even like super inappropriate pranks that go too far. If you think something is real when it's happening, you are traumatized by it. Even if afterwards everyone's laughing and joking and ha ha ha, nobody really died. It was all a big joke. It's your body still keeps that false memories like you still went through that whole thing and you're still going to remember going through it and keep all that trauma regardless of the outcome. And there's also things like the primacy effect where like sometimes the thing you see first is the way you remember it, regardless of if you learn later that it was incorrect. This is something that comes up in school a lot, like sometimes teachers will introduce a concept like, so everybody knows that the proper answer to this equation is this, Right actually wrong and then the teacher goes on to explain the right thing your brain is still might be likely to remember the first one because you're expecting to be given truth you learned it as truth you can't unremember that that's how you encoded it you encoded it as factual truth and that's there and people don't think about that with harry so he he went through this and even when sirius is fine he still watched sirius I mean, it's kind of like dying because you're not yourself anymore. He pretty much watched Sirius die. And he himself sat there next to him almost being killed. And like nobody 
ever takes time to talk about that with Harry. Maybe that's kind of why he's so reluctant to um, accept that Sirius did die in Order of the Phoenix. Absolutely. Because he's like, Sirius already like died, but then didn't. So like, this can't be true. He already mourned Sirius in his, like he, he watched Sirius die. He thought, okay, Sirius is gone. This is it. I just met him and he's gone. And then to lose him again, he's like, no, he has to go. Absolutely. It makes sense for why it led him to believe that Sirius had to have a way of coming back because he had already been through that. And it's just such a thing that like, nobody takes time to think about at all. That's kind of one of the bigger, like he goes through so much, but this is one of the ones that just like could completely skew how he looks at any new friendship. Like I just met a new person who's good to be good and I'm going to love them. But last time this happened, they died. You know, nobody can offer to let me live with them ever again, because last time someone offered to let me live with them, they immediately had their soul sucked out of them. And that's just like, especially when you're younger, you're going to jump to those conclusions and maybe see patterns that aren't necessarily true. What if Ron's like, Harry, we're done living, we're done Hogwarts, going out into the world as adults, let's get an apartment together. And Harry's like, Ron, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, there are repercussions. <laughs> yeah, everyone needs therapy. But um, just before we wrap up, I we kind of talked about this in little bits and pieces, but generally um, the idea here is that what would have happened if Sirius was cleared in Prisoner of Azkaban? Because, say, Lupin didn't transform. They go to Dumbledore, like they had Peter. So everything, he gets cleared. What would, what, I think, what would happen? How would it affect the series afterwards? Because, obviously, in Goblet of Fire, when Peter escapes, he's the one that finds Voldemort and, like, kind of brings him back to health and kind of helps him get his power back. And if Peter doesn't do that, then that kind of either slows down or changes the events of Goblet of Fire. Yeah, we sort of talked about it from the perspective of Sirius and Harry's relationship, but we didn't talk about it much from the perspective of, like, what does Peter Pettigrew getting away change for, like, the timeline and for Voldemort's resurrection, I guess? I mean, I think it would slow it down. I don't think Voldemort needed Peter. I think he has enough followers that it might have taken a bit more time for Voldemort to become a bit more like sentient and like embodied and then he would have to find a way to reach out to one of his followers. But I'm I'm certain there are a lot of people involved in the Death Eater organization who would want him back. Yeah. Peter was convenient. Yeah, Peter was probably the easiest to manipulate, but I think he has a lot of other people who would have done similar things for him. Yeah, I'm sure if he got stronger, yeah, just to take it would have taken longer. Yeah. It would be interesting to see how like because Harry's like what he learns in school often very conveniently lines up with what he needs to know to like defeat that year's Voldemort issue. So it would be interesting to see if like Harry was a year ahead from a learning standpoint and a development standpoint and like a social interaction standpoint how that would implicate things because that means like when Voldemort comes back in the Battle of Hogwarts Harry's he he would have he would have completed his seventh year at Hogwarts you know instead of going camping in the woods and this also idea because I always think that Voldemort would have tried to lure Harry to the ministry but if we didn't have Sirius in prison Sirius would be around more and probably maybe wouldn't be as reckless because we know Sirius and Phoenix is very like reckless because he's cooped up and he's not doing stuff but obviously if he was cleared he would be out doing things so he'd probably be a bit more and also i'm sure if he were harry's uh 
parental supervision, Harry's guardian, I guess. I feel like Lupin or someone who has sensibilities would sit him down and talk to him about like, now you like to do dumb things that almost get you killed. And that was fine before, but now you have a child at home that can't feed itself. So you need to not put yourself in so many situations that could get you killed. I think Sirius will be a bit lighter and a bit more... I don't know if I say responsible, but a bit more like aware of like what he has now that he doesn't have to worry about being on the run. He doesn't have to worry about, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I just think Sirius will be like, because he's actually not on the run and, you know, not in jail and he's like able to go out and do things for the order that would eventually start up. But uh, he'd be a bit more centered, I think, and especially having Lupin there too won't be as like you know yeah there's a lot of ways to lure harry into doing things because harry is kind of a child so i feel like if he couldn't get serious to the ministry to have harry have a vision and trap harry there he could do it to arthur weasley he could do it to any number of people that have legitimate reasons to be at the ministry anyway yeah i definitely think that would that would always happen but it's just kind of like uh, would Sirius die at the or there, or would he just die in battle? I think Sirius always had to die. I feel like it was just like in the store in the story. Yeah, he's too reckless, and he's too like I couldn't imagine. It, it's too essential for the plot for Harry to lose another connection to his father. It's just like it, it needs to happen. And it's true to the character. Like, there's no way that battle at the Ministry happens where somebody else was used as bait. Sirius finds out the order is going to rescue Harry and doesn't come along. Like, you'd have to physically restrain him, you know? I feel like Sirius is always meant to die, just in his character. So he, but so he's going to die in battle some way. So even if it wasn't in book five, it probably would have happened at some point in some battle. Yeah, do you have any um, final remarks for this short chapter before we wrap up? Final remarks? I guess Snape didn't even suck in this chapter, first of all. Point one, Snape didn't suck. He just gets zero suck points for this chapter, but you know, my final remarks are, you know, Harry's just like a very traumatized kid, and he just would do anything to leave the Dursleys at this point. Literally. Yeah, Harry's just that kid. It's a miracle he didn't get kidnapped when living with the Dursleys. Probably would have been like going into any stranger's car being like, hey... Will you be my mommy? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited, and we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 21 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Hermione's Secret. Expose. All shall be exposed, finally. Let us know your thoughts about this episode on our social media at Potter Revisited, or you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye! <laughs>